section forty of a history of our own times volume three by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter forty six ebb and flow part three the question was taken up by the house of commons and somewhat unfortunately taken up in the first instance by a strong political opponent of the government on july third eighteen sixty five mr ward hunt moved a distinct vote of censure on the lord chancellor the house did not agree to the resolution which would have branded the lord chancellor's conduct as highly reprehensible and calculated to throw discredit on the administration of the high offices of the state it however accepted an amendment which while acquitting lord westbury of any corrupt motive declared that the granting of the pension showed a laxity of practice and a want of caution with regard to the public interests on the part of the lord chancellor the government were not able to resist this resolution lord palmerston made the best effort he could to save the lord chancellor but the common feeling of the house held that the words of the resolution were not too strong and the government had to bow to it the lord chancellor immediately resigned his office no other course was fairly open to him the government lost a man of singular ability and energy lord westbury's fall was not perhaps so much the result of the one or two transactions for which the censure was passed as of the growing dislike which both houses had come to feel for an intellect too keen to be scrupulous and a nature which brought even to the uninspiring business of law reforms some of the fierce animosities to which the tongue of swift would hardly have given a more bitter expression many thought when all was done that he had been somewhat harshly used he would perhaps have been greatly surprised himself to know how many kindly things were said of him the hour of political reaction was evidently near at hand five years had passed away since the withdrawal of lord john russell's reform bill and five years may represent in ordinary calculation the ebb or flow of the political tide the dissolution of parliament was near lord derby described the speech from the throne at the opening of the session of eighteen sixty five as a sort of address very proper to be delivered by an aged minister to a moribund parliament the parliament had run its course it had accomplished the rare feat of living out its days and having to die by simple efflux of time on july sixth eighteen sixty five parliament was dissolved mr disraeli's address to the electors of buckinghamshire sent out before the dissolution distinctly declared that the issue which the country would have to decide concerned the national church and the franchise the maintenance of a national church he said involves the question whether the principle of religion shall be an element of our political constitution whether the state shall be consecrated or whether dismissing the sanctions that appeal to the higher feelings of man our scheme of government should degenerate into a mere system of police i see nothing he proclaimed in such a result but the corruption of nations and the fall of empires as regards the franchise he was vaguely grandiloquent 
and both the vagueness and the grandiloquence were doubtless deliberate and to serve a purpose on the extension of the electoral franchise he observed depends the distribution of power he was of opinion that the primary plan of our ancient constitution so rich in various wisdom indicates the course we ought to pursue what that course was mr disraeli took good care not to explain too clearly the ancient constitution he showed had secured our popular rights by entrusting power not to an indiscriminate multitude but to the estate or order of the commons and a wise government should be careful that the elements of that estate should bear a due relation to the moral and material development of the country public opinion he suggested might not be yet ripe enough to legislate on the subject but the country might ponder over it with advantage so that when the time comes for action we may legislate in the spirit of the english constitution which would absorb the best of every class and not fall into a democracy which is the tyranny of one class and that one the least enlightened translated into plain english these pompous generalities meant clearly enough although perhaps men did not all see it just then that mr disraeli would be prepared if his turn should arrive to bring in a reform bill and that he still had hopes of being able to satisfy the country without going too far in the direction of popular suffrage but it seems evident now that he had left it open to him to take even that course should it come in his way no matter how wide the extension of the franchise which he found himself driven to make he could always say that in his opinion it only absorbed the best of a class and did not allow us to fall into democracy which spills the foremost foeman's life that party conquers in the strife the first blow was struck in the city of london and the liberals carried all the seats four liberals were elected in westminster the contest was somewhat remarkable the constituency of westminster always had the generous ambition to wish to be represented by at least one man of distinction westminster had been represented by fox it had more lately had sir francis burdett for one of its representatives and cochrane for another byron's friend hobhouse long represented westminster more lately still it had had sir de lacy evans not much of a politician to be sure but a very gallant soldier a man whose name was at all events to adopt the french phrase in the playbill this time mr mill was induced to come out of his calm retirement in avignon and accept the candidature for westminster he issued an address embodying his well-known political opinions he declined to look after local business and on principle he objected to pay any part of the expenses of election it was felt to be a somewhat bold experiment to put forward such a man as mill among the candidates for the representation of a popular constituency his opinions were extreme he was not known to belong to any church or religious denomination he was a philosopher and english political organizations do not love philosophers he was almost absolutely unknown to his countrymen in general until he came forward as the leader of the agitation in favour of the northern cause during the civil war he had never so far as we know been seen on an english political platform 
even of the electors of westminster very few had ever seen him before his candidature many were under the vague impression that he was a clever man who wrote wise books and died long ago he was not supposed to have any liking or capacity for parliamentary life more than ten years before it was known to a few that he had been invited to stand for an irish county and had declined that was at the time when his observations on the irish land tenure system and the condition of ireland generally had filled the hearts of many irishmen with delight and wonder delight and wonder to find that a cold english philosopher and economist should form such just and generous opinions about irish questions and should express them with such a noble courage since that time he had not been supposed to have any inclination for public life nor we believe had any serious effort been made to tempt him out of his retirement the idea now occurred to mr james beale a popular westminster politician and he pressed it so earnestly on mill as a public duty that mill did not feel at liberty to refuse mill was one of the few men who have only to be convinced that a thing was incumbent on them as a public duty to set about doing it forthwith no matter how distasteful it might be to them personally or what excellent excuses they might offer for leaving the duty to others he had written things which might well make him doubtful about the prudence of courting the suffrages of an english popular constituency he was understood to be a rationalist he was a supporter of many political opinions that seemed to ordinary people much like fads or crotchets or even crazes he had once said in his writings that the working classes in england were given to lying he had now to stand up on platforms before crowded and noisy assemblies where everything he had ever written or said could be made the subject of question and of accusation and with enemies outside capable of torturing every explanation to his disadvantage a man of independent opinions and who has not been ashamed to change his opinions when he thought them wrong or afraid to put on record each opinion in the time when he held it is at much disadvantage on the hustings he will find out there what it is to have written books and to have enemies mill triumphed over all the difficulties by downright courage and honesty when asked at a public meeting chiefly composed of working men whether he had ever said the working classes were given to lying he answered straight out i did a bold blunt admission without any qualification the boldness and frankness of the reply struck home to the manhood of the working men who listened to him here they saw a leader who would never shrink from telling them the truth mr mill has himself described what followed his answer scarcely were these two words out of my mouth when vehement applause resounded through the whole meeting it was evident that the working people were so accustomed to expect equivocation and evasion from those who sought their suffrages that when they found instead of that a direct avowal of what was likely to be disagreeable to them instead of being affronted they concluded at once that this was a person they could trust the first working man who spoke after the incident i have mentioned it was mr Roger, said that the working classes had no desire not to be told their faults they wanted friends not flatterers 
and felt under obligation to any one who told them anything in themselves which he sincerely believed to require amendment and to this the meeting heartily responded one is in doubt whether to admire more the frankness of the speaker or the manly good sense of those to whom he spoke as much to my surprise says mr mill as to that of any one i was returned to parliament by a majority of some hundreds over my conservative competitor in many other instances there was a marked indication that the political tide had turned in favour of liberal opinions mr thomas hughes author of tom brown's school days a radical of the muscular christianity order as it was called was returned for lambeth mr duncan malaren brother-in-law of mr bright and an advanced radical was elected for edinburgh unseating a mild whig mr g o trevelyan a brilliant young radical nephew of macaulay came into parliament in ireland some men of strong opinions of ability and of high character found seats in the house of commons for the first time one of these was mr j b dillon a man who had been concerned in the irish rebellion of eighteen forty eight he had long opposed the idea of an armed rising believing it inopportune and hopeless but nevertheless when the movement was precipitated by events he went and took his place in the front of it with his leader mr dillon had lived for some years in the united states and had lately returned to ireland under an amnesty he had once reassumed a leading part in irish politics and won a high reputation for his capacity and his integrity he promised to have an influential part in bringing together the irish members and the english liberals but his untimely death cut short what would unquestionably have been a very useful career wherever there was a change in the character of the new parliament it seemed to be in favour of advanced reform it was not merely that the tories were left in a minority but that so many mild whigs had been removed to give place to genuine liberals there seemed to be little doubt that this new parliament would do something to make its existence memorable no one surely could have expected that it would vindicate its claim to celebrity in the peculiar manner that its short history illustrates mr disraeli himself expressed his opinion of the new parliament after it had been but a short time sitting he spoke of it as one which had distinctly increased the strength and the following of mr bright no one could fail to see he pointed out that mr bright occupied a very different position now from that which he held in the late parliament new men had come into the house of commons men of integrity and ability who were above all things advanced reformers the position of mr gladstone was markedly changed he had been defeated at the university of oxford by mr gathorne hardy but was at once put in nomination for south lancashire which was still open and he was elected there his severance from the university was regarded by liberals as his political emancipation the reformers then would have at their head the two great parliamentary orators one of them undoubtedly the future prime minister and the greatest philosophical writer and thinker of the day this liberal triumvirate as they were called would have behind them many new and earnest men to whom their words would be law 
the alarmed tories said to themselves that between england and the democratic flood there was left but one barrier and that was in the person of the old statesman now in his eighty-first year of whom more and more doubtful rumours began to arrive in london every day End of section forty